This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, a Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Michael Simmons, who is the data editor of The Spectator and also a regular when we have done Coffeehouse Scots. Now, Isabel, you've been following Nicola Sturgeon's evidence this morning, obviously very highly anticipated, um, largely because we haven't been able to get that much from her messages in advance. Um, so so I suppose, what was, I think, the, the pressure on her going into this and how the, the first part of it gone? Yeah, so... Uh... The first section of this morning's evidence, because they had a break halfway through, um, the first section was about those WhatsApp messages or lack of and whether WhatsApp was was part of her decision making process uh, when in government. Now, according to Nicola Sturgeon, it really wasn't. And that her the bulk of her communications with senior colleagues like John Swinney and so on and chief medical officers and so on um, were largely her whatsapping people to say can I have a word and then a conversation would follow that was always recorded um, in the proper way. Sturgeon actually got quite emotional uh, in some of her answers and I think that's quite interesting because a lot of this is about how controlling she was. I would say that she's one of the politicians most in control of themselves Um, and while I've no doubt that she probably did like all of us, have moments where she felt you know, utter despair at what was going on during the pandemic. She was always able to keep a lid on that while it was happening and has always kept a lid on, on her feelings throughout her time in politics. So I think it was it was quite interesting that she chose this evidence session to, to show that emotion. She's not the first person to tell the inquiry about, you know, the regrets that are going to stay with, with her for the rest of her life over some of the mistakes that were made or as she put it, when the the government didn't meet its aims of of doing its best to protect people. But I think what was more striking about this is Sturgeon is not somebody given to a lack of control. Michael, I think just just to briefly, I suppose, look in the context of the WhatsApps, you've had Nicola Sturgeon, as Isabel says, um, acting as though, well, they weren't really used for decision-making, even though there might be a few examples. Of course, we don't have the whole transcript of messages. But up until this point, something Fraser wrote about in the magazine last week, there's, there's plenty of evidence to suggest there was just a culture, wasn't there, of, uh, you know, not wanting messages to stay around for long, which I think has raised suspicion. Yeah, absolutely, Katie. I mean, this is kind of not the first example of Scottish government secrecy. It's just the first one that's that's really been exposed. You look at the uh, legal case that Alex Salmon took out against the Scottish government. There was cases that ended ended up with the government's own lawyer resigning because he felt that documents were were being hidden from him. We've had the ferry scandal where there was these um, unminuted uh, meetings, missing emails. There's all sorts of this in the history of kind of Sturgeon's leadership of the Scottish government. And it clearly was her modus um, operandi. And I think actually what's happened here with the WhatsApps is um, I was very briefly a, a Scottish government civil servant and I wrote the record management policy for my very small team, I should say. I would not confess responsibility for the whole thing. But the way the Scottish government system worked was just for any document, not just a WhatsApp, was 
you had to mark if something was information. And if it was information, it would become permanent. And if it wasn't, it would eventually get deleted. And I think somebody, we presume Sturgeon, but we don't know, decided that that sort of general attitude to information would also um, apply to WhatsApps. I think the question is then why were, did they become so sensitive about the WhatsApps? Because I think you have to ask yourself that when they decided to delete the the WhatsApps, especially you know knowing that there was going to be a public inquiry, they must have known that the fact of the deletion would come out and would be a big political hit hit to them. And um, so I think you know there's a question there is what what is potentially potentially being hidden. The lawyer for the Scottish COVID bereaved group. Uh, has asked the question whether it was any of that to do with potentially the Salmond court case, because that, of course, crosses over with the start of the kind of COVID period. Now, we're just never going to get an answer to that. But I think, you know, that's something to think about. And that was raised this morning, wasn't it, Michael, when you had the group representing the bereaved? Um, effectively suggesting that they might even try and bring criminal charges against Nicola Sturgeon. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think this is one of the, 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 mo- the most fascinating changes that's come out of the inquiry is um, this guy, Anar Anwar, who is basically like the lawyer of Scotland. He's the most sort of famous legal face in Scotland. He's A rep- former ally of Nicola Sturgeon's. Well, exactly. Former, not just a former ally of Nicola Sturgeon. He actually went with Hamza Yusuf to the Count when Hamza was elected leader of the SNP. Um, and I think he sat with Hamza's parents. So this shows how close he is to the Scottish establishment. But he's now, you know, openly criticising not just Nicola Sturgeon, but also Hamza Yusuf for this secrecy culture. And, um, you know, he's made the suggestion on behalf of um, the brief families that if records were deleted after the um, inquiry was announced and formalised, then that is potentially a, a criminal issue. So he's been asked um, by the families to potentially report that to the police. And Isabel, I suppose going back to where this leaves the politics and the SNP, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, obviously, as you say, a politician always has seemed to be in control and want to be in control, saying she felt very overwhelmed at times she wanted, you know, she didn't really want to be first minister in a pandemic. But what is at stake for Nicola Sturgeon here in terms, you know, she's, she's no longer an you know, the leader of the party. She's passed on the baton. So is this her reputation? And what are the potential repercussions for the SNP more widely? Yeah, I mean, I think this is about her reputation, first and foremost. I think, though, she also, you know, she's she is close to a lot of the people who are still at the top of the Scottish government. And so it's about the SNP's reputation about the case, I think, also for the Scottish government being competent and better than the decision-making in in Westminster as well. And when you've got figures like Alex Salmond, um, who are laying into the SNP's commitment to independence, uh, to its ability to make the case for an independent Scotland being able to manage its own affairs and so on, that that is even more important. Um, And I think that was something you got over and over again from her evidence this morning, where this is always her her thing, which is a sort of Scottish exceptionalism of we handled this better, we were doing things better, and not to make a political point, we are just better. And, you know, you got that this morning, that she was committed to openness and transparency, that the the only aims that she ever had were to protect people. At one point, she said, you know, it wasn't a huge surprise that she didn't think Boris Johnson was suitable to, to be prime minister. Full stop, she said. Um, 
And I think, you know, there was a, a an attempt there f- from her to contrast uh, an administration that, by her depiction, was solely focused on um, pandemic decision-making with Westminster administration that was, um, you know, dominated by squabbles and and sort of partisanship. Now, I think even a lot of people who were working within government at the time would in Scotland would find that quite difficult to square because there was the sort of approach of, you know, oh, you've announced this, uh, we're going to make it very slightly different so we look better. And indeed, Sturgeon was asked about this and, and she said that none of the decisions she was taking were were about politics. But I, I think, you know, that's that's quite difficult to square. I think another point that she made that those in England would find quite difficult was that she and uh, the leaders, the other devolved administrations were finding it hard to get their point of view across in private meetings and so felt they had to make the case for things uh, publicly. Now, if you talk to anyone or indeed listen to anyone who's given evidence to the COVID inquiry uh, from the English side, they would say that they ended up not saying anything at COBRA meetings because they thought Sturgeon was just going to kind of come out and either announce something that was completely different or it was just going to leak. Um, so there is a fundamental difference of opinion over um, the approach and values, I think, is fair to say. And just finally, Michael, do, do you think then this, uh, probably the sense that Isabel was talking about during the pandemic, where often Nicola Sturgeon was cited as an example of how to, how to do it more sensibly, often the measure slightly ahead of Westminster and Boris Johnson. Has the idea of St. Nicola, I think, uh, taken a real hit today? Yeah, I actually think of all the sort of scandals that Nicola Sturgeon's endured sort of over the past couple of years, this is the first one that has really dented her image. Um, and a moment that sticks out for me, after some of the evidence last week, somebody who, I think it was her husband had died during the pandemic, was uh, speaking to reporters and she said that during the pandemic, she thought, oh, it's great. Uh, we don't have those idiots down in Westminster. But from hearing about the, the, the deleted WhatsApps, she said that she realised, oh, no, we just had an idiot of our own. So I think, you know, the, the, the will um, is being lifted from some people's eyes. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.